So I guess I'll just start. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I don't know what it's going to be yet, actually, because as many may be able to imagine, we can record things and release them in the future. I think this is part two. The first part, uh, if you're hearing this in the future, uh, was me and Dan, frankly, just talking about our expectations before I even started the channel when it was completely just a hobby. And now uh, I have a guest for part two who is... Uh, so, hey, I'm Chris with The Good Old Gamer. I'm sure many of you guys are pretty familiar. I've been on the show a couple of times now. Yeah, and I've been on your channel at least once. And I was going back and watching some of your videos before we recorded this. And it's pretty obvious. It's just funny. Me, you, and Paul, I think every other video mansion each other's channels. <laughs> Well, I mean, we kind of have a similar mindset. We all look at things differently, and I think that's why we like to watch each other because you get a different perspective from a similar like base standpoint, which is we need more competition and we need to encourage that. And I think that's really what all three of us really want to see. Yeah, I mean, the greatest reality would be if, again, I think with Cortex talking about Risk-V so much, I, I love the idea that eventually you just have HP and Dell designing their own CPUs for their own laptops and AMD's forced to make the best semi-custom things to compete with them, to make sure they keep choosing AMD over building it themselves. Then you have five GPU manufacturers. I mean, that's kind of how it used to work, actually, in the 80s right. and 90s, early 90s. I'm correct. Yeah, I mean, CPUs were largely dominated by Intel through, you know, most of the computing, personal computing era. But, you know, there were a lot of other manufacturers of x86. You know, you had uh, Cyrix, you had AMD, you had uh, IBM. I mean, there was one or two other ones that I can't pop off the top of my head. But you had alternative options. And then it basically became the Intel show. Uh, with AMD, and that's pretty much what we've had ever since. And when you don't have more than two options, I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, when you have five or six different options, like when you go to the store and you want cornflakes, you have five different cornflakes brands, you can pick the cheapest one because it's all the same thing. Yeah. And because of the internet now, you don't even need to go to the grocery store. I'm sure there's some indie you know, <laughs> startup in Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin, making all organic corn flakes that aren't even at the grocery store. So uh, it's honestly weird, this industry. I think it is just going to go that way, though. I think we're going to, it's just going to take forever because this is, well, a lot more complex to make than corn flakes. But th it, it's not going to last. The margins are there. And actually, let's, so I think the first place to start with looking back on this year is just kind of going into it, though. And speaking of margins, I mean, this 2019 started right after Turing came out. Yeah, this is definitely the year of the margins. So you'll hear that word a lot. Yeah, this is, no, it really is. This is the year, and I think 2020, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, will be the year AMD milks. I really don't think AMD's going to milk forever. Unless, of course, they can. They are a corporation. <laughs> but I think this whole year, it's just been higher prices. but better prices than 2018 and 2017 because there wasn't a mining boom. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's an external factor that you can't account for, though. No, you can't. But NVIDIA was sure happy it happened, I think, when they launched her. Oh, Turing. so was AMD. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, they loved it. <laughs> yeah, it made sure uh, Vega didn't have any problems selling for an entire year. <laughs> no. That, well, hell, I mean, all of AMD's graphics cards were off the shelf. I, I remember $600 RX 580s. I mean... It's crazy. 
Yeah, so that's actually kind of what I remember going into 2019 is finally coming out of the mining boom. That was one of the first things of this year that we saw. Yeah, mining boom to the margin boom. Mm -hmm. So things got better, but and we'll probably get to some of that later, but I guess I'm just kind of trying to place other things that were going on. There was the 9900K had just come out as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not really to fanfare. (laughs) I think everyone was just making fun of it. To this day. I mean, I know some people probably liked it. I I guess, is that what your perception was? Do you think it was taken as stupid? No, I mean, it obviously needed to exist. But I mean, for gamers, the 8700K was still equal to the 9900K. So that didn't really make any real difference. So it didn't really change AMD's position too much. And for Intel, it just gave people that a false sense of future-proofing. Although I do think the 9900K will last through the next generation. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's like, was it super necessary? No, but it was more of a marketing thing. Uh, they had to show that they were keeping up in core count and keeping the pressure on. I, I think that's more a broad-reaching sort of thing that they were going for, the message to the community, hey, we're still here kind of a thing. Yeah, and now we are near the end of the year, and we have the 9900KS, which I'm going to be honest, uh, disappointed me, and I did not have high expectations. Well, the way that I look at it, it's basically like the 2700X 50th anniversary edition. That's kind of what it is. It's just throw special edition on the package of a 9900K and just charge more money for it. That's all it really is. It's actually very smart for Intel to do. Just take slightly better quality silicon, throw special edition on the box, and charge 50 bucks more. I mean, it's really the only thing they can do. Uh, I really thought, I, I, for some reason, though, I really thought it would perform. There were some many reviews I saw where their 9900K sample was outperforming their KS sample they were reviewing, even at the same voltages with a few channels. I mean, that's the big thing about Silicon Lottery. I mean, if they sent out golden samples of the 9900K and the KS is, like I said, (laughs) probably a half a step up over the regular quality K skew, I mean, yeah, it's going to lose out to a, a K golden sample. To be honest, I thought we would have more information about 10 cores by now. I remember if I watched some of my early videos, I'm like, and then at the end of 2019, we'll probably get a 10 core. I was giving Intel the benefit of the doubt that they would get that out. But of course, now we know from at least from a couple motherboard manufacturers I talked to that they have power delivery issues with Comet Lake. And so, I mean, that might not come out for (laughs) till mid 2020. And if that's true, that means the 9900K will almost be their top chip for two years straight, just eight cores. Well, AMD is just rolling out double the core count. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's really what's leading to AMD going for the margins. And honestly, um, I don't know if you saw Cortex's latest video. Yeah. I think you mentioned it. But at the same time, yeah, they're definitely going for higher margins, but they're in the lead. You know, they can actually command those higher margins. So yeah, they're going to really love it. Basically, what's happening right now is we see Intel in the same position AMD's in in the graphics department. So that's kind of their position. Their only real move, they could stay competitive. They just need to lower prices. They need to understand that your shareholders are not going to be happy, but you don't really have any product on the mainstream. But on the as a whole, Intel is actually doing much, much better than I was expecting. Yeah, I agree. Um, c- 
considering the situation. AMD is actually doing much, much worse than I was expecting. And uh, it really just kind of goes to show how strong of a hold Intel really has on the market. And I suppose they always really have. So it doesn't really matter what products they have. They're still going to be competitive. Now, that won't last forever. They can't go like an entire decade that way. But I think that they have enough goodwill with the community that they could literally launch nothing for five years. Be like, nope, we're going to use five-year-old tech, and we're just going to change the name and maybe adjust the prices a little bit, and they could probably get away with it. And that's what it appears like is happening. So I don't think they're really worried about it. As long as they can get seven nanometers up and running uh, by 2022 and start launching seven nanometer products that compete with everybody else, I don't think Intel really has a problem. And... That's a real shame because they are getting trounced. I mean, if you look at things objectively, AMD is miles and miles ahead of them. Yeah, it's that 3950X slide where they showed what was it the platform was double or triple the <laughs> lower power usage than a overclocked 9900K oh, yeah. while having double the cores. It's absolutely, it's it's honestly hilarious. Like that's, they, people talk about It's like bulldozer. Sandy Bridge against Bulldozer. I mean, it really is. The, the difference and, though is before Bulldozer had eight threads. Now imagine if Sandy Bridge was an eight core with 16 threads using that much energy. I really see Zen as, at least from a competitive point of view, it's, I guess the th- problem was Bulldozer was, and this is where people are going to start throwing poop at me, was really not good at anything. That That's the difference. Nope. Whereas at least Intel still has gaming, even though if you really look at the efficiency, again, AMD has a 16 core using less energy than their 99KX, which is double the cores. Before, I guess the courts decided that Bulldozer is a quad core though. I don't know. <laughs> I still think of it as an eight core. <laughs> It's an eight-thread CPU. At the very least, you can say that, and that is actually correct, no matter which way you want to slice it. But, uh, I mean, you got to remember that Sandy Bridge also had HEDT. I mean, yeah. there were larger core count yeah. uh, Sandy Bridges. If they needed to, they could have always slotted them down. So, I mean, that's it's a pretty fair analogy. But the big thing is, is like you said, Intel's still good. I mean, it's still a viable CPU. If you put in a six-core Intel CPU and a six-core AMD CPU, the average user is not going to notice the difference. Not really. No, probably not, uh, especially when they add hyper-threading to the six-core. I guess that's the one thing I would say is you will notice the difference with the i5 six-cores right now. I've seen plenty of people complain of stuttering. Actually, even in like Battlefield Five, it's funny when they complain of stuttering because they had, I don't know, like an 8400. I'm like, yeah, you have... Six threads. They're running at three gigahertz. Uh, <laughs> there's some stuttering right. in that game. And unfortunately, uh, Intel didn't give you guys hyper-threading at that price point. I have an old 6700K that is eight threads. It's actually kind of better because it clocks faster. Yeah, that, that's really the big thing is, I mean, Intel, all they have to do is just enable hyper-threading. That was one of their biggest misses. They should have launched. They should have, um, yeah. They should have just put hyper-threading on everything once... Zen came out. That would have helped them out tremendously. I mean, in in reality, for gamers and the average user, four core eight threads going to last the rest of this generation because games are obviously coded with eight threads in mind and IPC is so much higher than what's in consoles. That would be fine. So um, Intel, yeah, they're they're not in as bad a shape as they could be. And honestly, I think it's due to AMD screwing themselves over. And that's something that I message Cortex after his video. I I sent him a giant wall of text. And uh, he and I are going to have a discussion here in a couple of weeks about 
what he went over, and he's right on all of his points, but I think it ultimately comes down to AMD does not know how to market, and they just don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I'll try to save some of the prediction stuff for what we expect next year. I do want to come back to the uh, subject of threads, how long they will last, because before we do that, though, I think I just to sew up the beginning of the conversation, expectations. To be honest, what I remember at the turn of the beginning of this year was the hype around AMD was just at was a huge. fever pitch, like more than I've ever seen. Terrible Q1 earnings, but it still spiked up through the roof. Nobody cared. That's how good expectations were, that even a poor earnings call and everybody just bought in. And everyone was, it was just nonstop talking about Navi and uh, Zen 2, which mm-hmm. I would say in retrospect, I think uh, Zen 2 met expectations. I know some people don't think it did, but to be honest, it uses less energy than I expected. And uh, it's better at certain things than I think a lot of other people expected. No, it doesn't hit five gigahertz though. I mean, that's really the only thing you can say. At least the ones they're selling. I, I think we were expecting higher frequency, but lower IPC. Yeah. So we got higher IPC, but lower frequency. So I agree. I think they hit the real-world performance targets that we all wanted them to. It's just they went about it in a slightly different way. Uh, instead of the bigger numbers on the box, which you know people that don't pay attention don't really understand that. But yeah, their IPC gain was huge. Yeah, and I think if we're being honest, my first video, I think, I, I mean, I made a couple that were terrible. <laughs> in fact, the first one I never even released. I might watch it with Dan and just release the audio in the podcast. And then Dan can describe how stupid I look. But <laughs> so the one that actually got some amount of views was uh, reality will catch up with Intel. And I think this kind of ties into what we were just talking about that. I agree for the next year, Intel can get by doing what they're doing. Um, They don't really care that much about Cascade Lake. uh, And frankly, they just sell those to OEMs. I mean, that video I recently did talking about how they have a price for OEMs that's, well, it's not even just half as much. It's really on average about a third as much as what they're charging uh, on Newegg. That's where those Cascade Lake X i9s go, where Intel makes all their money. They go to HP, they put them in Omen pre-built gaming See, you know, computers that market it as having 14 cores, i9s at five gigahertz. That's where all the money's made there. And they can get away with that a little longer. But I am, and I've always been very outspoken about this, of the opinion that this parade will not go on forever, that they have a ticking time bomb here. And they better hope, they really better hope their 10 nanometer will yield next year, which I, I think it will, from what I'm told. But We'll see. You can never be sure with that. And Zen 3 could be that little bit more needed to push things over the edge. It's something I talked about in my last podcast near the end there is right now, if you think about how gaming works, the difference in gaming performance between the 3600 and the 9900 KS, you know, we're talking about something for almost triple the price is... Like 15%? I don't know, right? Not, it's, it's about 5%. Yeah, it's, it's 5%. So here's, here's Intel's rush against time. AMD right now just completely clobbers Intel at everything but gaming. But people will buy those CPUs if they game 5% better. They will. And Intel's got you know the name brand recognition. However, if AMD's Zen 3 
is, and they're just, you know, it's, it's a new architecture. They're redesigning the CCXs. If that gets 10% more IPC, which I don't think is out of the question, and it does get at least what they say, which is about 100, 200 megahertz higher. It, it, right. The problem isn't that now the fifth, you know, what, what would we call it? The 4900X12 core now beats the 9900KS at gaming. That's not the problem for Intel. The problem for Intel is that now when you move up AMD's single-threaded performance by, let's say it's 15%, or even just 10, now AMD's $200 CPU beats Intel's top chip probably at everything. That that's the problem Intel has to worry about at the end of next year, I would say. So I, I sure. think they can get away with it for now. But as things stand, I mean, their HEDT lineup's a joke. At least in Europe, people are buying AMD in larger numbers. Uh, seem more discerning than us, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, and once you move that single-threaded up by 10%, it's just complete game over, not just in the high end, but it's like, like what do you price a 9900 at? When it loses to the 4,600 at everything. And if they need to, I mean, what was it? The Q6600 launched at $900. In less than a year, it was $200. They could drop the 9900K to $150 if they need to. And, and if they, they could. If they feel, yeah, if they feel that, okay, yeah, so they're beating us across the board, we're losing sales, well, we're just going to knock, or they'll probably do it in small increments. They'll knock like 25% off, get a bunch of sales, knock another 25% off, get a bunch more sales. They can just keep going down. And AMD could follow if they wanted to or come out with cheaper SKUs or whatever. But honestly, I think Intel is just trying to wait out the clock. Exactly. I think yeah. that... But there is a very real clock there that will affect them if they don't hit it. <laughs> right. But I mean, if you look at the Pentium 4 versus the Athlon XP and then the Athlon 64, it lost to both. Um Pretty bad to the XP and then horribly to the Athlon 64. And that was a good four-year period there that Intel was basically irrelevant. They were completely worthless and worse at everything across the board. And they were still able to ride out that storm. The big thing was is that they had to come back big. Now, here's the thing, and this is the reason why 7 nanometer matters. 10 nanometer doesn't matter to Intel. It's not going to give them what they need. They need to get to 7 nanometer they need to get there before TSMC, if possible, and before AMD can get their products onto it. And what you they really to like need to five, do... You five, their equivalent or whatever. Yeah, yeah, their yeah. five nanometer. Yeah. So they need to regain some sort of advantage or just come out with an architecture kind of like what the Core 2 was that was so much better than what AMD could possibly have. So imagine if Intel had a 200% IPC increase on their next CPU. It sounds impossible because we haven't seen such things in a long I'm time. I'm told Golden Cove should be 40% better or more than Skylake. And I think some people hear a 40% IPC increase and they say that's impossible. I'm like, well, it's been a while since Skylake came out, guys. A 40% IPC increase in 2021 isn't just that's expected. They better get at least 40% by then because AMD is increasing IPC too. Right. Yeah. And with AMD constantly increasing IPC, I mean, Intel could come back in the game, like I said, if they hit back hard with, uh, you know, if they get the 3D stacking done first and there could be massive IPC gains there with on, yeah. you know, with on die DRAM and stuff like that, that could get you a hundred percent IPC increase in theory, if they do it right. No, it could. That's what TSMC was talking about at Hot Chips for half of their presentation. It absolutely could. 
Yeah. Yeah. If they come back and just make Zen 5 look, you know, ridiculously slow, even though it's such a massive leap for them, you know, Intel over Intel, it's not impossible. And as long as they have the time to get there, there's always that chance. So I I think it'll be fine for them. And like I said, the biggest, the most telling thing is, is the reaction on Wall Street. The Q3 earnings for Intel was a giant boom. Uh, They just skyrocketed after their Q3 earnings. And I was expecting AMD to have a similar reaction because Q3, Zen 2 was out now, Navi was out. So that should be factored in. And they did not care. Um, AMD's earnings. AMD's is, it's up about, it's up since earnings. Yeah, but it's but like it dropped it dropped booming. immediately as soon as earnings came out. Part of it's due to the fact that AMD doesn't know how to sell and market. There, I actually read their earnings report because I actually lost a few hundred dollars on AMD that day. I'm like, come on, guys! And it was mostly due to the fact that they don't know how to present their own information. Uh, they might be very smart and very technically engineer. You know, their engineers might be very good, but they don't have a single person in there that knows how to sell anything. Um, what they did is they lumped their enterprise sales with their semi-custom. So we're at the end of a console generation. So their semi-customs can be down like 8,000%. You know, yeah, it's going through the floor. So what that did is it took all of their Epic sales, all their Rome sales, and ripped that through the floor with it. So it made it look like they were losing so much ground in the server market. Now, it, for those of you that don't play in the stock market, <laughs> you have literally three seconds to read this giant report and make up your determination whether or not you're buying or selling if you're already in. So you have to be super fast with this. And when you see the highlighted numbers- Good point, I agree. They, they were terrible at marketing their graphics sales too. Be, if, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I basically skimmed the report. But one thing I thought I saw was that their graphic sales overall were flat despite being way down in professional graphic sales. Was that correct? I thought I read that in there. Honestly, they lumped that in with uh, their CPU sales, and that actually looked like it was up on the on the quick uptake. Like I didn't dive that deep into it because it was basically they hit their their projected targets overall, so it's like wash. Um, but they they lump CPU uh, like desktop CPU and GPU all in one category, and then they have uh, basically the semi custom and enterprise lumped into one category. And then that one was obviously down, I think it was like 300%. So it made it look like Epic was not doing well. Because at the end of the day, nobody really cares about consumer-grade stuff. Well, um, yes, but they made, what I believe I read is that, you know, they don't make nearly as much money from their professional graphics as they are from Epic, not yet at least. And I believe I read their graphics sales to the professional market were substantially down, like, you know, way, way, way down. And yet they basically broke even on graphics sales, meaning that Navi's selling so well to gamers that it made up for that downturn in the professional graphics market, which I thought a lot of people overlooked. I saw maybe one analyst talk about that. I'm like, so Navi, at the very least, is also selling gangbusters compared to their previous gens, and they basically just glossed over that. I mean, I think that's a very big deal long-term that they don't even have a flagship. Real, I mean, yeah, I guess their flagship is the 5700 XT right now. Uh, graphics card competing, and yet they're managing to make more money in consumer graphics than they've made for, I mean, what was it? You know, since like 2000, 2014 or something, wasn't it? Well, it was the the most revenue that they made since 2005. 
for the company wide um, for right. the for the company um but yeah no as far as like the individual graphics stuff i didn't dive that deep into it because honestly to wall street that doesn't matter um the biggest thing is is the server side that's where the real money is and that's uh professional graphics actually on amd don't matter well and that's i don't blame amd for charging more for Threadripper. And I think next year really is the year where you're just going to watch Intel's prices continue to slowly go down as they have, well, absolutely nothing in the desktop space. Uh, And you're going to see AMD raise margins, at least for next year, because they need to get as much money while Intel has nothing as they can before 2022. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Go, and I mean, people will pay whatever they want for Threadripper, by the way. I see it. I actually don't agree that there's that much to complain about with Threadripper. If you think about it, they increase prices on a 24 core, 100 bucks or something versus what they were selling at previous gen. And because of how Zen 2 works, it's, you know, 50% better. The 50% year over year performance increase for 10% more money in a platform where the competition has quite literally nothing. Like it's so funny how little Intel has in that market now. I think the real gripe, uh, you know, like from Cortex's video, is the fact that AMD's been buying goodwill with Zen 1 and Zen Plus. Basically, they were underpricing their CPUs to try and buy goodwill. And now that they are in the lead, they have the technological advantage. That goodwill is, they don't need to buy goodwill. It's either you want the best, you pay for the best. And they could have charged whatever they wanted. If they wanted to, they could charge four grand for the 32 core and been like, buy it or don't. And what are your options? It's- well, your option is a $3,000 28-core from Intel, right? That's the funny thing, people. Uh, AMD is done being a budget option, unfortunately, I think. Across the board, uh, I mean, and but they're always going to try to give you better price performance for the time being. The 32-core is $1,000 cheaper than Intel's 28-core. Can you really blame them? You know, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, it's... I actually thought that they were priced a little bit cheap, but I mean, it keeps it in line with the mainstream uh, desktop parts. So, I mean, this way you have kind of an upgrade path. If you're like, yeah, 16 cores won't quite cut it. You spend a few hundred bucks more and I got 24, a few hundred bucks more and now you can get, you know, 32. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense. I also think AMD is charging far too little for their Epic CPUs. Um, their well, max CPU, yeah. <laughs> their max CPU is a little bit under seven grand. Intel's is like fourteen, so they're charging half as much as Intel. Uh, for I don't better. think that's going to last long either. I think you're going to see Zen three increase prices by you know uh, some amount, but enough that people will swallow it because they are still a lot of servers are switching to Epic, but. They, yeah, they, they definitely wish they would have charged more, but I get what they did there. Like AMD needs to take server market share now. That's their goal. Intel has nothing for a few years, but only a few years. They will come back with some pretty powerful stuff. So I understand it, you know, being an account manager in the automotive industry, there are some accounts where it's like, I'm tired of taking this long to win this business. We're going to be aggressive this time. Could we maybe charge more? Maybe, but we need to take this market share right now, you know? And I think that's what they did. And yeah, in hindsight, they should have definitely charged more though for Epic. It was never that much about the price either, at least from anyone I've talked to in server. It's really just about, can I rely on this? Is this worth the effort to switch over time? Right. They almost never mention price, actually. I mean, they do eventually, but 
Well, that's because most of the people that you or I would speak to, they don't pay the bill. You know, they they just say, this is what I need. And then some accountant somewhere pays the bill. So, uh, but yeah, it's ultimately down to will it work? And price is pretty much irrelevant. And that's, that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of prices being inflated. And my perspective on the tech industry has evolved once I started realizing that um, there's so many people out there, businesses, that it doesn't matter what it costs. Yeah. So there's always going to be, the tide's always going to continue to rise is the way that that's going to work. Things are going to continue to go up and up and up and up unless new competition comes in, which is what we started this conversation about. And that's the only thing that could disrupt it enough to where it's like, okay, we got to pull back because now we have to compete against this other guy over here. And on the consumer side, the way that I started looking at things is you just have to pick a target price point. For me, the $200 CPU market is where the mainstream CPU needs to be. I don't care how much faster it is, how much slower it is next generation. It doesn't matter. As long as it does what the average person needs to do and it costs $200 or less, so the 3600 definitely fits that bill, yeah. that's where you need to have it. This is when Intel got into troubles when the $200 i5 stopped being good enough because they weren't yeah. any threads. Once that happened, that's when CPU market became an issue for gamers. Um, once we had four core, eight thread or better, six core, six thread or six core, 12 thread now at that $200 price point, CPU is no longer relevant. Uh, you shouldn't be spending more than that as, as a mainstream gamer. And then on GPU side, it's really between the $200 and $400 price point. Anything beyond that is basically just irrelevant because they'll just keep updating prices. Like we talked about in our last video, if they want to charge 10 grand for a GPU, that's you know, 15 times stronger than a 2080 Ti. Yeah. Who, who's to say that they can't? I mean, and someone will buy it. <laughs> Somebody will buy it, yeah. I guess I'll say this. Did, did you expect a thing stronger than the 5700 XT from AMD before the end of the year? I figured that they could do it if they wanted to, but right. after looking at the situation, it doesn't make sense for them. Um, That's what I think's going on, and I always find this a hilarious thing. Uh, you'll see this in tons of forums where fanboys just go, AMD could, can't even make, what is it? They'll say, uh, Oh, why they do can't they, compete. Yeah. You why know, do they bother? Why do yeah. they think, uh, AMD, why do these AM dumbs think that, uh, <laughs> AMD can compete with the 2080 Ti? There's no way they'll make a card that strong. And I'm like, you really think it's that hard for this multi billion dollar company to make a product? you know, 30% stronger than what they have now? You, you don't think they could do that? I think they could. They just don't care. That's really what it comes down to. Um, and that's one of the big things I'm going to be talking with, you know, Cortex about is, uh, honestly, I, I laid out kind of what I just said about how NVIDIA is doing things right. AMD kind of jumped the gun, I think. I think going to 7 nanometer really hurt them. As much as the hype really built up this year, I think that's what ultimately really, really hurt them is the fact that these cards came out so late. I mean, they're basically halfway through the 2000 series generation. So we know 3000 will be out in six to nine months from now. And we only have one chip from AMD. And the fact that their seven nanometer wafers are becoming a premium, they're literally wasting their time building GPUs because yeah. they're making many thousands of dollars on Epic CPUs. So it's like, 
why waste the fab, you know, the seven nanometer fab space or capacity on GPUs? And that's the reason why I think they decided not to build a big chip. They decided to go small because, well, they can get a lot of them out of, you know, per wafer, plus laptops is a big deal. So I think that's why the 5500 is coming out. But I don't even think they really wanted to do the 5500. I'm honestly entirely surprised that's built on seven nanometer. Like, I really thought there was a chance they would put that on like Global Foundry's new 12 nanometer FDX, which is about as efficient, so it'd be fine. I mean, the die would be bigger because, well, it's on 12 nanometer instead of seven, but it would have, it's something that actually confused me. I was very surprised that everything so far with Navi is seven nanometer that they haven't, I mean, even just done some kind of updated porting, you know, of like a smaller Vega or Polaris card even. And just call it the 5500, maybe give it some of the new features, you know, uh, RDNA has. Because, man, putting everything on 7 nanometer doesn't make any sense. I mean, look at the 5500. That's a 150 millimeter squared die, I believe, around there. So that's double, you know, that's twice as big as two Zen 2 chiplets. No, I don't think it's quite that big. I thought it was about 100 millimeters squared. It's bigger than a Zen chiplet. Oh, yeah. And they're not making Zen 2 chiplet profit margins on this thing. Nope. Uh, so I, 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 that actually surprised me. I will say that I'm surprised there wasn't some bigger Navi because they could have done it. But if there's not going to be a bigger Navi, I'm surprised they're releasing a smaller one on 7 nanometer. I mean, they don't need 7 nanometer to compete with NVIDIA's low end. NVIDIA's low end is a complete joke. I mean, they could have put it on anything, really. And I'm, ass- I'm assuming they already invested in you know, getting it onto 7 nanometer. And this is really where AMD has a bit of an issue. They're not very malleable. You know, like how you said, why did not switch it over to the, you know, the, the 12 nanometer over here? That would have made a lot more sense. They should have actually launched the whole Navi RDNA lineup on 12 nanometer at Global Foundries or TSMC. It doesn't matter where. But, you know, keep the fabrication on 7 nanometers going. But they just don't want to invest, you know, however many more millions of dollars it is to get that going because their graphics division overall isn't going to be that profitable. So I I just don't think that they want to put the investment in. So they're like, yeah, screw it. We'll just make whatever we can make. And for the most part, they just want to get these to OEMs and they want to get them in laptops. That's the big thing. They just want to get them into laptops so they have a presence in modern day laptops. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. The TDP difference, or I guess they're now using TBP for the 5500 that the mobile version, you know, will use around 50 to 75 watts. And then the the desktop is like, one ten hundred fifty. Yeah. It's like they're definitely giving desktop users the worst yields. They just don't care. But they don't. They, again, though, they really don't need to care. I, that's one thing. Looking back on this year, I think I misjudged. Is I thought Navi had like so the original launch from Adored. I right. I think we both agree that it was at least a legitimate leak, no matter what panned out from it. And the original leak was that Navi, well, the Navi you see in the 5700 would be clocked lower. It'd use about 100 watts and they'd sell it for 300. And I do think that was their initial plan was we are going to make this way more efficient than NVIDIA, sell it for $300. But they had problems with the larger dies. And as we know now, they said, eh, screw the larger dies. We got the smaller ones working. Let's overclock them and sell them for uh, 2070 prices. Why not? Why not sell them for that much? It won't be any more efficient than NVIDIA's current gen cards. But why do we care? People will buy it anyways if the performance was there. And I thought people wouldn't. 
Well, it turns out people will buy a Navi this time. And I guess it is it's just, it is because AMD is perceived as a decent company now. And it's for this year, it was very funny watching the AMD's overall mindshare just get them you know, a lot of sales in all of their departments. Whereas before, it's just, it is annoying though to just think, so we're right. It was mindshare. Now they're selling graphics cards over twice the quantities of their previous gens. Doesn't matter that the 7,000 series, the six, I mean, let alone the 7,000, the 6,000, the 5,000, the 4,000 series were so much better price performance than NVIDIA. No one cared. Now they have the mind share. Yep. Now sales are good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been a while since AMD's been on parity. I mean, you and I have talked about it, and this is the reason why we had such, we took a lot of issue with the 5700 XT reviews because we're like, guys, it draws the same amount of power and, you know, shader yeah. core to shader core, it performs roughly the same. So it's like, what what were you really expecting here? I mean, I was expecting better power efficiency personally, sure. but... But again, the original leak, they were clocked lower and they were supposedly, again, if you believe the leak, they were supposedly going to put a, I don't know, right, like a 48 compute unit card at the level they put the 5700, but it was going to be clocked lower and a lot more efficient. And I think once again, just like Polaris, they overclocked the snot out of it to get as high of a price as they could. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can definitely see the 5700 XT, the only reason why it draws so much power is because it's clocked too high. The regular 5700 is actually infinitely more efficient. I think it trades blows with like the RTX 2060, not even the Super. Like it's actually about as yeah. efficient as the 2060 and as fast as the 2060 Super. So yeah, RDNA it can be efficient, but the clock speeds need to be between about 1500 and 1700 megahertz. Once you get past that range, that's when it just falls apart. Which is no surprise. It's always moved up a few hundred megahertz every node AMD moves to. I mean, they overclocked the living crap out of some of their GCN cards, but it was always most efficient at about 900 to 1,000 megahertz. That's always really where you, or even lower, frankly, 800 to 900. GCN was insanely efficient, 1.0, I mean, of course. And then Vega really was incredibly efficient at about 1200 to 1400 megahertz but of course they made it <laughs> the vega liquid was pulling like almost 400 watts yeah <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> and now yeah so move it up a bit more it's most efficient probably instead of 13 to 14 we're gonna look at 15 to 16 but now it's running at you know 1.9 <laughs> yeah i mean that's the beautiful part about tsmc i mean i said that all last generation the only reason why nvidia is doing so well clock speed wise was because of the manufacturing process you can definitely tell global oh, foundries yeah. was holding them back um as far as clocks go but as far as efficiency goes man it would have been way out the window imagine a 300 watt rx 580 you know i mean they could have probably done it i'm sure someone <laughs> but, has there's an rx 590 and they make a uh, dual eight pin versions i'm sure if you want that oh, it's out there, there somewhere <laughs> There we go. Let's push that thing to its limits. But yeah, uh, but what's really funny is when you think about it, that's basically what Intel is doing. Push them TDPs up. Just keep pushing those clocks, you know. So yeah, basically Intel's in the same position that AMD has traditionally been in in the GPU space, which is really funny. But yeah, Navi and RDNA brought them up to parity. So that's doing well. There's really no arguing with that. Uh, people will say, well, NVIDIA is on 12 nanometer. It's like, yeah, well, show Who me their cares? 7 nanometer. <laughs> Well, show me their seven nanometer product that you can buy. I mean, point that one out to me and I'll be like, yeah, that's a better product. It's more efficient. It probably costs $20,000, but hey, there you go. 
Um, but they don't have it, and that's not an option. And until it is an option, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like people... Man, that was a really funny thing. It, no one really brings it up anymore, but about a year ago, I remember the amount of people I would see in the comments say, TSMC's 7 nanometer is fake and Intel's 10 nanometer is going to be real 10 nanometer. Like, all of these are marketing terms. All of them, even Intel. Oh, yeah. Intel's may be, quote-unquote, more real, but we haven't really followed the rules since the 90s. I think the last fab to actually named them correctly. Me and Dan talked about it. I don't remember what it was. It was like in the early 2000s. So even Intel's is all marketing terms. And how's that real 10 nanometer doing? It really sucks. <laughs> I, I mean, all it's there for is to give you an idea of its performance difference between its previous and other nodes. But I mean, exactly. if you really think about TSMC's 16 nanometer and 12 nanometer, what's the difference? You can make bigger die. I think technically you can make them a little denser too, but they're not because they want the high clock speeds. Yeah. So, I mean, even then, even as a marketing term, some of them are kind of fudging a little bit on that one. Yeah. And let me think here. So I guess overall though, if I look back at all of these launches, uh, the Navi launch was entirely different. I expected weaker cards than NVIDIA again, better than Polaris. But a lot more efficient than Polaris. But instead, they're not more efficient than... Well, if they are, they're about the same efficiency as Turing. But the performance is there, and more performance than I expected. I, I think everyone, including NVIDIA, thought that when AMD showed those slides, 5700 XT, you know, 10% better than the 2070, and, you know, 5700, I don't remember what it was, like 13% better than the 2060 or something. Something like, like that. They thought that AMD was full of crap, that it was really going to be 5% weaker than that. So it would really just be around a 2070. So who cares? And then it came out and I was like, oh, oh, this actually is almost a 2080, it turns out. <laughs> like, and that, but it uses a lot more energy than I expected. It's just funny how I think Navi's actually about as impressive as I thought it would be. It's just in entirely different ways than I expected. Well, I think AMD also handicapped themselves with their pricing. I mean, remember when the Navi pricing was originally announced? <laughs> and they and wanted more, by the way. I, I, I really thought they were going to try to do 500. I think, I think, and I do think that's what their initial plan was. Last minute, they said 450. Then the Super came out and they said, never mind, 400. Well, I just remember, I, I forgot which guy it was that was on stage, but how nervous he was right before he announced the price. And I'm like, this dude knew this was coming. Um, the the problem is, is on the GPU side, Navi came late. Yeah. Uh, it was going to be too expensive. Remember the first. WCCF rumors? Just like it could launch Q1. <laughs> well, it could have. If they were smart and went with 12 nanometer, they yeah. could have. And that would that's something that I'm going to talk with Cortex about because... Yeah, the fact that they took too long to get this out is really the problem. You're right in between generations. If you're six months behind, that's bad. If you're any more than that, you might as well just skip the generation, really. You should just wait until the following generation and catch up because you're putting yourself in kind of a bad spot, and that hurt. Like I said, the pricing was bad. Now, the performance when it came out was good, and it is good, and they are good products. It's just, once again, it's marketing, it's delays. They, they just... There's only one chip out. You know, that doesn't bode well. It's not an entire lineup. That AMD, while they're delivering good stuff on the GPU side, I also don't think it's worth it to them to even bother anymore. 
They need to just focus on consoles, APUs, and maybe sub $300 graphics cards and just stop. They, they are not capable enough to compete with NVIDIA. So what did you think about the super launch, though? Because that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And one of the most that's one of the most bizarre launches I've ever seen. The, the name was stupid. They were mm-hmm. basically just releasing the same cards again. They thought they could get away with it, and then AMD just dropped prices anyways. The super launch, uh, I thought it was a joke, honestly. I was like, oh, maybe this is like some sort of internal code name. Oh, it's super. Thanks for asking. You know, that kind of a thing. But uh, the naming is definitely stupid. But it's what NVIDIA does. They don't drop prices. They'll just close out a product and launch a new product, which is actually the smart way to do it. Instead of lowering prices, you get reviewers to go over your stuff all over again. It's actually- And they certainly will because I, and again, so I think that's one bone I have a little bit, although I do want to get to some more of what Cortex's video talked about. It's this idea that it's like AMD's fault for charging more or NVIDIA's fault. It's not NVIDIA's fault. It's these reviewers who said now NVIDIA is doing a de facto price drop. I remember I, I put together that meme of 2060 lower price, 350 to 400. They, they literally just launched a 2060 for $400 and you're saying they're lowering prices. I just can't believe how easy it is for NVIDIA to manipulate these channels. Money talks and bullshit walks. That's where it comes down to. The only thing that matters is money. I mean, nobody's on out there, you know, for goodwill. Um, and what NVIDIA does is they want to make as much money as possible. So they launch their products at a certain price point. The products were probably encouraged to be looked on favorably. But let's let's face it, the Turing reviews when they first came out were terrible. Nobody liked them. Mm-hmm. They gave them all kinds of hell I mean, for you them. had to do some real backflips to make it look good. <laughs> And some people did. Yeah. But at the same time, most of the reviewers were like, these aren't worth it unless you get the 2080 Ti because it's faster. And it wasn't until the RTX 2060 came out where it actually did deliver better price to performance. It was, wasn't much, but it actually delivered better. That's when you saw things starting to shift and then people starting to get on the Turing train. And since then, I mean, they were basically left unchallenged for six months, seven months. So it's like, what are these guys going to do? All these reviewers, they have to sell you product. That's how they make money. AMD's got nothing. They have Radeon 7, but they had really nothing. So they're going to sell you Turing. That's how it works. And then the Super came out, so they sold you those. Then Navi came out. Most of them tried to sell you that, but then talked up (laughs) RTX because they know you're probably going to buy that anyway. And that's simply how it goes. Um, When I saw the Q2... NVIDIA earnings, I did a video, and I said, it's over. Once I saw the sales numbers starting to come back and people started buying Turing, I'm like, okay, all that bad will that NVIDIA had, AMD did not capitalize on that. Well, that's definitely true. AMD should have done a much better job of capitalizing on that. I mean, I'm actually kind of blown away that it's like, we've talked about that ad nauseum, though. Like, really, they should have. It's okay if you mark up some of those products, but you got to take a few and just like really drive it in. Like honestly, $400 for the 5700 XT is probably fine. I mean, I always thought it should be maybe 350, 380, just line it up with the, you know, inflation for the 7870. But I do think that they could have gotten way more goodwill. And I know the margins would only be 45% instead of, they're higher than that still. Uh, they could have put that 5700 at like two, I mean, even just 289 
and they would have got capitalized on the goodwill immensely. And I'm a little surprised they didn't. You know, AMD is very indecisive right now. They don't know if they want to charge more or not. And so when they do charge more, it just comes off as greedy, even though it's entirely fair. At least that's my opinion is they, they just need to be so much better at choosing when to charge more and how they market it. And they're just terrible at it. I think it's more due to the fact that they're wasting seven nanometer wafers. And somebody sat down and it's like, if you don't charge at least this much, just don't produce the product. You're wasting money if you even produce these things. And I think that's what it really came down to. Somebody sat them down. It's like, you will lose money making these cards, even though, even with a 45% margin, because that wafer could then become could Zen be used, tubes. yeah. Yeah, so you are wasting your time unless you make this much money. And I think that's what it came down to. And they were able to be lower than their competition and have a competitive product. So somebody said, yeah, let's do it. And that's where the 449 came in. And then they realized Super was coming out. So they preempted that. And uh, I think that's how that situation really went. Yeah. I mean, the Cortex, I mean, for me, the thing I completely agreed with, just because I think it was ridiculous, was the idea that AMD was trying to sell the 5,500 four gigabyte for 240, or they were thinking about it. And I'm just like, where is this? No, <laughs> that's never yeah. going to work. And at least according to Cortex, AIBs refused to sell it for that much, which is just absolutely hilarious to me. Like even the AIBs who want more money that, were, you know, these are the same people who are mad that AMD <laughs> dropped the price on the Fury X from, I think the original price was like 750 or 800 and they dropped it to 650 They they Even they are like, we literally won't sell these if they're this expensive. 240 for a four gigabyte card is, insane. I, I can't believe they... I, and maybe Even if it had 8 gigabytes, I mean, it wouldn't make any difference. It's essentially, what, an RX 590? Yeah. 580? I mean, no. Uh, I got a warning a few months ago. I didn't get the, the numbers, but I got a warning that AMD was trying to way overcharge for that thing. And I, I could kind of read between the lines and that's kind of what I figured. I think my response was, if they try another RX 580 at $250, they might as well just close up Radeon Division, sell that off, get it out because there's nobody's going to care about that. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, so I don't know. I don't. I mean, if you think about it, they could have literally just taken the Polaris architecture, thrown in a few things, you know, maybe update the DisplayPort outputs and all that stuff, and thrown on GDR6. Just keep throwing them out in 12 nanometer. They'll compete. You know, that GDR6 bandwidth increase will make them. You know, 10, 15% better than they are now, and that's it. I, I, I mean, once once we saw the 1650 lose to an RX 5. I mean, that was just I mean, the most ridiculous. So I what's your uh let, let's do this. Um, what's your favorite product of the year from the big three? And then your least favorite? Uh the best is obviously gonna be the Ryzen 3600. 199. Gaming CPU, I mean, it'll do anything for anybody. I mean, there's probably 5% of the population needs something faster than that. And it's under $200. That thing is definitely, hands down, the best product this year. I think a lot of people who own them listening would agree to you, with you. <laughs> well, well, even, if, even if they don't, I think they'd probably be like, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, so what's the worst one, though? All right, from the big three... Maybe we need to add a few, because there's, I mean, there's a few stinkers, probably, but... <laughs> Uh, 2060 Super is pretty terrible. <laughs> um, 
the 9900 KS is irrelevant, but like I said, I kind of count that up there with the 2700X anniversary. I'd probably throw both of those in there because they're just marketing. But honestly, those are probably, and I mean, Radeon 7 was a little stupid. So I'd, I'd probably throw that in there as well. Hey, you're insulting my Radeon 7. Yeah, but you got the anniversary collector's edition, sell it for like three grand in a few years. It's a collector's item. Well, you know, I, for when it comes to the Radeon 7, that's another thing I think there's a lot of mi- uh, misconceptions about. Uh, I got it because it renders really well <laughs> and because right. it mines really well. And there's no RX in the name. And uh, that's one thing that's always completely confused me is this insistence on calling it a gaming card, which, you know, AMD is kind of selling it as a gaming card. It's it's really an awkward product. No, it was it was sold as a gaming card. That was AMD's problem. If they sold it as a professional or semi-pro card. And they almost then, did. They should have. <laughs> it just they called should have. it, you know, Vega Frontier 7 or something. Uh, I'm really confused why they didn't do that. It, it's just in between. But whatever, they gave you effectively an MI, you know, 50 for uh 700 bucks, which I, I can't argue with that. No, it's just the the marketing behind it. I mean, most pro- I mean, there's no such thing as a bad product. There's bad pricing, there's bad marketing. And Radeon 7 just was bad marketing. I mean, the price, you couldn't really argue with it, what you're actually getting. It's fantastic, but it was not meant for gaming. Meanwhile, I remember, I think it was CES when they announced that. And they had like some sort of like gaming team come out and it's like, yeah, you're all yeah, getting Radeon Sevens. I, I mean, it was literally marketed as a gaming card. So that was their their own. I don't know thing. why they do that. They always do it's again, AMD's marketing is bizarre. I, do you remember before Polaris that like re- weird <laughs> they they did this gaming presentation for the RX 480 before it came out where they like showed three RX 480s in crossfire fighting a 1080. I'm like, you know, that doesn't make it look good, right? (laughs) That makes it look like a complete joke that the best thing you can do with an all AMD system at this conference is show three of your 150 watt cards fighting one of NVIDIA's 180 watt. That's not a good look, guys. Yeah, that... That was I for could, me the I could go on AMD for days thing. about I can go on for days about AMD's marketing. It's it's just terrible. They make good products, but they don't know how to sell them. I think they're getting a bit better. Like I can see their website looks nicer now. Uh they're at least their marketing, the new head of marketing, or oh, is it Herkelman? He seems to be turning things around a bit. I mean, I'm gonna be honest, AMD marketing before this year was there wasn't any, and if you saw it, it was the most cringeworthy thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, remember the poor Volta thing? I yeah, mean, what was I, I? And that was real, right? I'm going to be honest. I never looked into it. I just saw that. No, show. yeah, no, that's a real thing. That's a real. It was like start the the revolution type thing, which is cool. <laughs> um, and you know, and you combine that with all of the, you know, and I pointed that out in my 1080 Ti video. You know, all the two times better marketing that they were throwing out there. And that's what killed Vega is their own marketing. Yeah, okay. they, they kept showing it in blind tests against a 1080 Ti. So everyone expected it to be a 1080 Ti. And I remember Jim really early said, guys, Vega's not going to be that great. They just showed it running Doom at 60 frames. Like, that's that's its performance then. Like, they would they would have showed it at 120 if it was running at 120, but it's not. Yeah, see, the... My issue with Jim's video there, because I think I actually combated him, was that was a video from January and the card was coming out in like July. I'm like, there's six months. If the card's already performing here, 
Why don't they just launch it? Jim happened to be right on that one. They had Yeah, I thought he may have been wrong on that too, to be honest. Uh, I thought he may oh. be wrong. And I guess maybe this is turning into a retrospective of the past couple of years, but I think that's fair because that's one thing that in 2019, at the beginning of the year, I just said, put a fork in it, guys. There's no secret sauce in Vega. Stop saying the fine wine memes. It's This is how strong it is. It's really good at rendering. That's it. <laughs> I guess what the one thing I wanted to say about Vega is I think everyone thought it was going to age. I mean, do you remember, what was it? The uh, tiled rasterization. Everyone thought that was coming a month after it came out. Like, just wait mm-hmm. for the tiled rasterization update. And it never came. And I think everyone expected it to age like GCN versus Kepler. And it's like, well, nope. That's just never going to happen. Uh, uh, at least not with Vega. That's just not what Vega is. Unfortunately, that performance is where it's always going to be. And, I, and yeah, I don't know what the hell was going on with their marketing. They really made everyone think it was going to beat the Titan or something. Well, and once again, like I explained in that video, that's why the 1080 Ti came out as fast as it was at the price that it was. Because NVIDIA believed AMD's <laughs> marketing. And they're like, okay, let's do this. And then AMD's like, oh, dude, we didn't have nothing. I'm sorry. We were, we were bluffing. And uh, yeah, that's why the 1080 Ti was way too powerful for way too little money. Well, so I guess I'll answer my own question, though, quick. I, I, for me, the 1650 has got to be the dumbest product I've seen in my entire life. Uh, and the fact that, any, although I think it got pretty horrible reviews, didn't it? Yeah, no, nobody liked it. I mean, but if you think about it, it's faster and equally as efficient as a 1050 Ti. It's meant for laptops. It's a laptop chip that they just decided to sell extras or the shitty ones on desktop. So, I mean, it, it makes sense from my perspective, like why it exists. But yeah, I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, they're going for like 180 to 200 pretty often. And when I see that, I'm just, uh, I, I love the argument too. Well, if you have an old PC, you know, this doesn't need a power supply. And I'm like, you understand the price of like a 570 and a nicer power supply is cheaper <laughs> than your <laughs> stupid card. Also, I think people overlook Radeon Chill. That actually works. Like it does. Like I've tried it. If you're one of those people that really cares about the difference between using, you know, 75 watts and 120 watts, Radeon Chill makes up the difference pretty much. I, I don't know if you've used it. What do you think? Um, I've used it. I, I don't use it on the regular because, I mean, for me, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I just I don't tweak care, my personally. GPU and undervolt a little bit and poof, I got my power savings and then I'm happy, but... Um, but yeah, I think actually one of the big wins is probably Radeon software. Uh, oh, AMD yeah. software has gone from, let's face it, it was kind of crap when they used to work with Raptor. Do you remember that? Like another company to kind of <laughs> optimize. Like I have uh, no idea what that was. I remember when they added that. With, wasn't that added around the 290X or something? They added like that Raptor software. And I'm like, I don't want any of this. Yeah, they added that bloatware to kind of compete with GeForce experience. But... And then today, you know, you fast forward, you know, six, seven years or something, and yeah, their software runs really well. I mean, the yeah. image sharpening thing is pretty good. Um, I know NVIDIA's got their stuff that counters that, but at the same time, both companies are competing on features now, which is really great. They're competing on performance. So, yeah, I, I haven't had any problems with their drivers. I still see people, oh, I can't get their drivers working. Well, maybe you should reformat your system and actually install, you know, do a fresh install. Um, you probably got 
junk on your system because I haven't had any problems. Yeah, I, I got to say, I and I don't think it's luck. I've had plenty of bad luck with PC hardware. But when it comes to software, I mean, I switched. Uh, one of the reasons, I didn't realize it at the time, but I mean, one of the reasons I never went back to NVIDIA on desktop for, well, since, this, uh, since uh, the 6950 I had, is because the software was so unstable on Fermi that I had to like un I had to like reinstall drivers clean every game I switched to play. Like it was so insanely bad. And Radeon's was better, at least for me, right? And and eventually though, it's getting to the point where it's like so much better than what I remember, even when I thought it was better. I I think Radeon software is one of the biggest reasons to buy a Radeon card right now, actually. I agree. It really is. It's simple to use, clean, clean uh, UI. It, it it just works. It's what RTX should have been. I mean, uh, have you used NVIDIA? Well, I'm sure you have, right? Like it, like it's so bad. My laptop's NVIDIA, so it's fine because I don't really use it to game all the time or overclock anything. But man, it's like the it's really bad. Like the menu's super slow. Like it looks like it was from '95 because it kind of is. Like I, I don't get what's going on with NVIDIA's. Uh, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings, but yeah, it's definitely from. It, I think it's the same aesthetic from Windows XP era. Uh, they haven't changed it, which some people will appreciate because they know where everything is because things haven't changed in twenty years. But it takes yeah, so it does much longer though for me to like if I want to do like a custom setting. Well, it takes forever to boot up, and then let's say I want to go to I don't know Skyrim, and I'm just going to throw on SMAA. And in the AMD drivers, you just find the game, boom, and then you just, there's the toggle. It's right there, and you're done. And, and with NVIDIA, you have to, like, there's this, like, scrolling down through all of these useless settings. Half of them, I don't know what they are. And then I click apply and, like, wait, and it might crash while it's applying it. It's it's so bad. Yeah, it's not nearly as user-friendly. And uh, with the AMD overlay, you can actually adjust all those things mm -hmm. in the game. Like, yeah. you don't even have to leave the game. Um, so yeah, they're, they're definitely, like I said, at least on par as far as feature set, but yeah, overall the software is better. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably their biggest win. So I could, yeah, I could definitely say this is the year where Radeon's drivers for me, I will just openly say they're better now. Like I always thought they were cause I had bad luck with NVIDIA cards, but I, I always like to, you know, be a little careful about that. Cause a lot of it is luck or something else you couldn't figure out. But yeah, I, I'll just openly say I think it's better now. But I do want to move on to uh, RTX because I did watch your control video. And uh, that was, I mean, that was, uh, I mean, my <laughs> first RTX video actually was like one of the first videos I did. And it was me making fun of RTX and Battlefield 5. They just kept slowing down and like freezing time. We've talked about that. And the fire in the background when you slow it down looks like absolute junk. And then you have this flashy explosion and then you look at the cars and it's like you know cars really aren't that shiny though this isn't yep. this isn't more realistic this is just different and now my performance is a fourth as much <laughs> yeah it's less real or it's still not realistic it's just not realistic in a different way yes i thought the conversations those channels were having about yeah i own a 2080 ti and looking at the blood reflect things that's i've seen blood that that's not blood dust <laughs> Right. So for those that didn't watch the video, I'm sure you'll put it in the description. But um, essentially, Digital Foundry, of course, does really good breakdowns of all this stuff. So I used their their uh, analysis, but they would show the ray trace blood, like a giant pool of blood on the floor. 
and with ray tracing on and off. The ray tracing one, it looks like a mirror. Like you could literally see the ceiling. You can count how many pencils are in it. Like it's literally a mirror of the ceiling. Yeah. I'm like, that that does not look realistic. And then with ray tracing off, they use cube maps. So it's very blurry. I mean, it it looks more like what a pool of blood would look like, in my opinion. Now, me personally, I've never seen a pool of blood just laying on the floor, so I can't say for sure, to be honest with you. But from my experience, that actually looks more realistic. And most of the ray tracing stuff basically just looks like lighting changed. Like, uh, there, there's like a fire extinguisher, and like one of them's like ray traced on, one's off, and it yeah. just looks like somebody moved a light. I'm like, who's going to notice this? You know, it's, it's so minor that it just, doesn't matter and like how you said it it doesn't make it look more realistic it just makes it look different yeah and my example that but so i use the battlefield 5 one but also there's this example i've seen i forgot which channel did it i think it was hardware unboxed where they looked at ray tracing and metro exodus and they're like yeah sure so in this tunnel it looks better and it's more realistic but a lot of people talk about the lighting going through the trees in when you're on the train in Metro Exodus, try and play the game yet, but that's the example they're using. And everyone looks at, you know, look at the light rays going through the trees and the different shadows. And they actually paused it and zoomed in. And they're like, are you guys noticing the shadows that should be under the tree here are no longer there? And now there's some shadows on top of this bush that should not be there. So again, it doesn't look better. You turned RTX on, things moved, and you said, wow, look at my ray tracing card. But no, the lighting isn't even more realistic, even in the trees, even around the train. I think they also said some of the shadows just got darker and they shouldn't have been. Like That's my problem. Like this, That's always been my big problem is I'm, I, I reject the premise that it's about losing performance, even if it's a lot, for next-gen lighting. Because it's not next-gen lighting. It's just different. It's not realistic. It doesn't even look better. You just turned it on and it looks different now. I mean, the only thing I've ever been impressed by is Minecraft. I think that looks good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, it's it's more simple games. I mean, Quake RTX looks pretty cool. I mean, and it's just because they're not trying to overdo it, I guess you could say. Um, you know, they're just ray trace lighting for the most part. It's when they make all these surfaces shiny, which people look at things like, oh, it's so shiny. I mean, people are kind of hardwired to like shiny things, I guess. Yeah. And uh, that's part of the the selling tactic there. Because like, if you look at control with RTX, like everything is a freaking mirror. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know what place on earth looks like this. Um, you know, there's usually scuffs on the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, that shine wears off after a while. You know, even if you just wax the damn thing. So, yeah, RTX, I mean, ray tracing is eventually going to become a thing. It's just, it's not there with the RTX cards. And honestly, RTX was designed to work in conjunction with DLSS. And since DLSS doesn't really work, <laughs> yeah. the only RTX card that actually exists is the 2080 Ti. The other ones don't really matter. No, they don't. And uh, uh, the last thing I'd touch on when it comes to ray tracing, and this is something, again, we've said a million times, is just that fire extinguisher you showed where, you know, you're zooming in and it's like, oh, look at that shadow. If you go past that, maybe you'd notice that. It's like, you know, a lot of these special effects and features I see in games, I, I can't even tell uh, until I play it on my 4K TV. Like, I have to put it in 4K HDR to tell 
even some things on ultra. So forget adding ray tracing and all this other stuff. If you don't have enough pixels, you're not even going to see it. And if you're running at too low a frame rate, you might miss, you know, particle effects too. Like we need to nail high resolution, high refresh, uh, HDR before we even bother to touch ray tracing. Cause I mean, you can see a shiny mirror, but you're never going to see the little details in that mirror unless you're playing above 1080p. And the priorities I saw those channels going on it, I, I want to bring that up because I think this was something you touched on that I think might be true. You know, they were playing, what are you playing this in? He asked in that video. And he's like, oh, I'm playing in 1080p, uh, 60 with a 2080 Ti. And then the guy goes, yeah, I got a 2080 Ti too at home. Oh, and, uh, oh, and you played above 1080p though, right? And he's like, no, I, well, I don't play it above 60 frames because my DVI, you know, I can't plug it into my graphics card anymore. But so I just turn on ray tracing and it's like, what guy can't afford to upgrade his monitor that has a 2080 Ti? And it's probably someone who was given a free 2080 Ti. Yeah, that, that was, I think that's kind of how I started that video. It was mostly just to prove how out of touch a lot of the media, especially legacy media are. So yeah, the, the conversation was basically, this guy admits that he has 2080 Ti at home. He has a 1080p display. It can do high refresh, but because his port isn't supported anymore, uh, he can't use it. So his monitor is so old that it requires high refresh through DVI, which was for you guys that are kind of new to this, high refresh when it first came out, yeah. like the first year maybe, only worked through uh, mm -hmm. DVI. Display port didn't quite work. Yeah, yet. I have one I can't use anymore actually because of that. <laughs> well, I get you can actually get a Display port to DVI adapter if you want to. No, I know. But this but... guy, but but well, that kind of ties in. This guy couldn't even go that far because the high refresh didn't matter to him. So he's gaming on a twelve hundred dollar graphics card where 1080p 60 is his target and he's perfectly good with. And that's why I brought that up. And you're right, it's because he got a free $1,200 graphics card, but spring in an extra 200 bucks, 300 bucks on a new monitor. That's, <laughs> oh, that's just too much right there. Yeah, and, you know, I think people used to be falling for this stuff, but if there's anything I'll say is I do feel like consumers are starting to wake up to how out of touch these channels are. I mean, I think that's the success of your channel and mine this year is people are tired of it. They can read through it. They can see the difference themselves. And when you have these channels, you know, like for instance, you know, like these guys are, I don't know, anything on Verge or IGN where they just literally oh don't even know what PC gaming is. And then you go to a Digital Foundry review of the 5700 and the guy's zooming in Zooming out of the games when AMD wins and just starts talking about RTX. Like, we can see what you're doing. Like, people aren't that stupid, especially as this goes on for more and more years. And as more channels pop up that are just going to take these videos like you or me do and just point and say, that doesn't make sense. And it's obvious. Why is no one saying this? Right. Would you agree, though? I think people are, the consumers are getting smarter despite the pessimism I sometimes hear. I actually think that there's a huge divide. I mean, there's obviously the people that do see this and know what's going on. Then, you know, they'll find your channel, my channel, Paul's channel. And, you know, people that are basically explaining what's going on in plain English. And they go, oh, man, yeah. So, all right, that's what's happening. And then they're aware and then they make better choices moving forward. But honestly, um, the I'd say the vast majority of the market, they, they don't care. Uh, they just buy what they're told. They don't want to be bothered with it. 
Right now, PC prices are ridiculous for for some components. To be honest, storage keeps getting cheaper. RAM's fine. Again, I mean, I remember paying much more for that in the past. Uh, and processors, I think we're just completely spoiled for core counts at this point. I don't... I- yeah, I don't think we really need to worry about processors. I mean, as long as the $200 CPU is all you need, once once we get back to needing 3 or $400 CPUs, that's when we need to start bitching. But we're we're totally good as a mainstream consumer gamer people. We we don't need to worry about CPUs at all. It's just the graphics cards. You know, the one thing I would say though is and I think I'm coming back to something I wrote down that we talked about is threads is at least from some... I, I talked to a couple of people that work on game engines, and it, it, some of them say that they actually do think eight cores are going to be the standard way faster than people think. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen the next year overnight, but I, I mean, look, the PS5 has 16 threads. They will program games for that, and they have a backup ARM processor. So those 16 threads, that's it. That They're using all of them for games. And that will become the standard, I think. I mean, I think those six-thread i5s are going to feel like quad-core i5s by 2021. I mean, I guess I'll say that. Yeah, but still, I mean, if you buy a $150 CPU, I mean, and you got to upgrade it two or three years later, uh, you got your value out of the thing. I mean, that that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, if you buy a 3600 today, and let's say... You know, you do need the extra threads. Let's say the clock speed increase doesn't make up the difference. You spend 200 bucks on a CPU, you sell it for, I don't know, $50, $60, go spend another $200 at that point. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's stupid to spend $750 on a CPU because you don't want to spend $200 three years from now. <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense. To me. Well, you know, I'm looking to get the 3950X, but it's not because of just right future proofing and stuff like that. But I guess that's the one argument I am making. I want to clarify my point too. I'm not saying, right, that the six cores you have now are going to be obsolete. They're not. They'll be fine. And I'm sure they'll be able to work most of that generation. And yeah, I, I agree that it's, you know, it's 200 bucks. So what are you complaining about? But at the same time, I think it's just about the tiers of performance. And I, I just, I think that if you think a six core, because right now it's there's just been a lot of stagnation. I, I know the six core is five percent behind the ninety nine hundred K. I don't think in a few years it's going to be you know able to keep up with the best AAA high refresh gaming. Though, let's say <laughs> I got into uh, let me think in twenty seventeen I got into well I was already on the rifle team in college so I got into more kind of like competition shooting. Uh, there's a big mm-hmm. range here where I live. We live in the Midwest, people. We have those. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like literally the stuff you see, like John Wick training and stuff, you know, like Keanu Reeves running around. They have targets pop up. They time you. You have to get good at reloading. Like I got into that. And then I also got into camping. So let's talk about my rig was first. Uh, I have a Radeon 7 for its own reasons. But uh, besides that, I've been using the same SATA SSD RAID 6700K and a Vega 64. I would have been fine with keeping. I didn't need the Radeon 7, guys. So let's just say I did that, though. So you have the 6700K, the Vega, and the dual SSDs. Let's say I was even on more of a budget, actually. I didn't mind. I would still have a Fury that I got for 250 actually. <laughs> so that's my rig from 2016. A Fury, a 
6700K and two SSDs in RAID. That thing cost me like 1200 bucks, 1300. It was great. It was a great rig. And let's say in 2018, I want to go to a 2080 Ti and I don't know, right? Like uh, Ryzen or Intel, just a better CPU. That upgrade's like two grand. And for two grand, I got into camping last year. And I have good camping gear. I go into the wilderness, you know, with my dog. We set up fires. I have a hatchet and all this other stuff. That and the competition shooting, and I have a very nice competition competition gun. Combined, those two additional hobbies now cost the same as going from the Fury to the 2080 Ti and the new rig. And are my games any better? No. <laughs> and that's kind of the thing I want to talk about is it doesn't even need to be, you know, so what do I spend my money on? It's like, you know, you could buy an entire additional hobby for the price right. of updating your rig. You could learn a new skill. <laughs> you could learn a new skill or you could, you know, go on a vacation. You know, you save enough money, you know, instead of buying three or four rigs, you buy one or two, you know, maybe retire a year earlier. I mean, yeah, vacation. There's so many other things that the average person could be doing. Um, and I think it's just because the technology isn't advancing as much or it's just not as necessary. Yeah, like you said. And that's becoming more and more the obvious choice, in my opinion, as technology, at least for now, stagnates. Now, I got to be honest, I don't think it is going to stagnate Really, I think things are going to, and that's kind of my argument too, is I really do think the thread war is on. I think 3D stacking will be in, well, Lakefield, right, is already coming out now. But 3D stacking and all that type of stuff is really going to start taking off by 2022. That's going to be a big deal. It's going to be huge. Like, uh, just, but at the same time, prices could be all over the place. And I just, and it's going to become more important as more cool stuff comes out. Because again, I want to be honest. We have a 16 thread. People complain. Some people wanted the 3950X to be cheaper, but it's like, well, the 1950X, I know it was called a Threadripper, but that was 16 cores. It was 1,000. Then they gave you an IPC increase and better efficiency with the 12 nanometer version. All right, now it's 900. Now they've got a 7 nanometer version. It uses half the energy, has much higher IPC and faster clocks. It's 750. Things are getting cheaper. So I guess the argument I keep trying to make on my channel is actually that as technology accelerates, that actually might mean to upgrade less often because there's always something better coming the next year. And just always weigh that like, you know, your 580 or your 480, let's say. <laughs> let's say you, because like, I got a Fury instead of a 480. Like, let's say you still have that 480 and that, you know, uh, you know your i7 from back then. Um, A new hobby or even going to a Zen 3 build. I don't know. Just think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, is it going to be game-changing enough to be worth not going on vacation for a week in, you know, Cancun or something? Yeah. You know, so, something that would cost something similar. You know, what should I spend my money on? It's like, what if you didn't? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Or, or like I said, save it up, you know, retire a year earlier. You know, that's, that's one of my big things. I don't want to be working the rest of my life. I want to be sitting on a beach in Cancun by the age of like 45 and just kind of kicking back. That's more my goal. You know, I'd rather sacrifice now and, and have that, but that's me personally. So, but everybody's got needs and stuff out there, but. And I've been starting to think about price performance a lot. There's this idea of like, well, 
the 3600 is the best price performance gaming thing you can get. And it's like, well, it's not. The 1600 is. It's a third the price <laughs> at Micro Center. And I think when you do budget builds, I think everyone min-maxes price performance. And the more I'm starting to think about it, the more I'm like, I think what you should do is set a performance target and then ask, what does this PC need to do? And right. then you worry about budget. I, I, I'm starting to reject the entire notion. And I think deep down, I've always hated the idea of like, I have a thousand dollar budget and this is my budget. What would be the best money for a thousand? And it's like, well, why a thousand? Why not $862? Why not 1,050? I think what you- Right, the, the question should be, what do you want to do with this thing? Yeah, not what budget do you have? Because just if you take a step back and think about it, what you're saying is I have to spend a thousand dollars. You have to spend a thousand. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, here's this thousand dollars in my bank account. I want my bank account to have less money. That's part of the marketing that's out there. You know, they want uh, they want you to spend that money. They want you to save up and burn every last penny of it. I mean, this is more con- this is social conditioning is really what that is. And there's a lot of people that do that. I saved this money up for this specific purpose, and I'm going to use all of it for that specific purpose because reasons, you know. And then they'll make something up. Um, but as far as like hardware in the future and stuff goes, yeah, I mean, you just build a rig that'll do what you want. It's going to last the whole time. I mean, once the next generation consoles come out, that hardware is not going to get any faster. That's going to set the baseline. And as long as you meet and exceed that, you're going to be fine. And, and to back up your previous points too, as much as I do think actually game engines are going to adopt more threads quicker than I think some people think, maybe you, at the same time, that's in a few years. So, <laughs> I mean... You don't necessarily need it right now. And with until we stagnate on 3D stacking, and I'm not really sure that's going to stagnate so quickly. There's so much we have to learn now that we've moved our paradigms from we must get smaller nodes to what if we just built this smarter? Build the tower. Build condos. Yeah, like what are we doing? Like why were we so insistent on this? And frankly, I mean, also just looking at TSMC, which is its whole com- a different conversation. I mean, the ramping up six now, fives next year. It doesn't mean you'll get products on it. Well, you you will. It doesn't mean you'll get desktop products on it. After that, they're building the three nanometer foundry right now, guys. That that's coming 2022, and then they'll probably have some marketing term for two nanometers. So I think stagnation might set in in 2026, but it's going to be a blistering few years. Not just because of all the technology. Well, not just because of 3D stacking and these new architectures, but just because look, clock speeds might not increase, but doubling density is a big deal. And TSMC is doubling density every couple of years now, once again. But yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover? I actually do think we basically covered all the things that happened this year. Yeah, we we hit all the big stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be exciting to see who's right. I mean, we both kind of see have our own ideas where things are going to go. And we could both be right. Neither of us could be right. We'll see what happens. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll do another podcast. Otherwise, uh, well... Look forward to watching. You are, of course, the good old gamer on YouTube. If people want to find you and you do have a Patreon, I guess we'll put that plug in there. Appreciate that. Tom also has a Patreon, so if you want to help. If you guys didn't notice, yeah. I mention it sometimes. (laughs) He does bring it up from time to time. Yeah. (laughs) All righty, man. Well, I'm going to get on out of here. Yep. All right. You have a good evening. You too, sir. Bye. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast 
at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law is Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space in other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, if you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher supported level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraj, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Colm Marco, Otterwise Tech, Thai Rister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Kulin Lau, Daniel Cage, Night Rogue 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schoff, Frederick Lau, Alexander Dolar, Lethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Carebear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rohner, Rubber Ducks, Nick Neasy, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, and Carbon Cry. Thank you all for your support.